Thanks for checking out this message from Spring Mountain. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, swimmountcf.co.uk. Or join us every Sunday from 11am at Abbey Road in Barrow and Furness. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, then please email prayer at springmountcf.co.uk. Well, good morning, everybody. For those of you who don't know who I am, my name is Jeff. Uh, If you're here for the first time this morning, I am not the pastor of this church. People have made that mistake before, so I'll be very clear. I am not the pastor of this church. He will be back next Sunday, I think. So if you want to see what he looks like, either come back next Sunday or go on the website. Um, It's a real privilege to be um, stood here in front of you in this wonderful new building this morning. Um, It's nice to see enough room for everybody to sit down. People could get a seat as soon as they arrived and not have to wait for children to depart. If you stay behind for coffee at the end, you'll find it's nice. You can actually hear the person you're speaking to uh, while you're you're having coffee. Uh, And it is a real privilege. Uh, Those of you who know Johnny Harrison will know which football team he supports. And I can't believe I'm standing in a building here which is so blue and white, uh, which which fits my circumstances perfectly. So today, we're at the start of a new series. Uh, The series is called Sidekicks, which I think you've probably gathered from the the picture behind me. Um, The the dictionary definition of a sidekick is that it's a slang expression for a close companion regarded as subordinate to the one he or she accompanies. Regarded as subordinate basically means they're considered not quite as important as. So I thought, soon as I've got the, the easy bit of starting off this new series here, I thought we'd start off with a bit of a quiz to see what you're like in terms of sidekicks. Uh, so I'm going to show you some photos in a moment. Uh, have we got the photos, team upstairs? Yeah, we have the photos. We've got, I'm getting a nod. I caused the technical team some real problems this morning, and I, and I do apologize for that. Um, I'm going to show you a, a photo of a sidekick, and you have to tell me who the, the more important person is associated with that. Uh, and I make no apologies for the, uh, for the choice of pictures here. These are all pictures I would have got right. So if, you, if you're around about my age and have similar interests to me, then you're probably on a bit of a winner here. Uh, <laughs> okay, so there's sidekick number one, and the person who's about to, about to appear on the screen is the more famous... And there he is. Okay, photo number two. Okay, and the, most Im- the more important person is... Shrek, okay, so you're doing pretty well on this so far. Photo number three. (laughs) So then, who's the sidekick of Daniel (laughs) 1? Daniel 3. I told you we were going to get a bit harder. There we go. Photo of sidekick number three. Oh, okay. And yeah, see the next one? There he is, a rather younger looking uh, Harrison Ford. Sidekick number four. Oh, who is it? That's not Scooby-Doo. Oh, come on. It's Boo-Boo and Yogi Bear. Okay, and next sidekick. Now then, this one dates me. This goes back to my childhood. Oh, so who's this? This is Tonto and his sidekick. There he is, the Lord Ranger. Now, if you look carefully at this photo, that horse hasn't got a body. It's only got a head. Now, how on earth the Lone Ranger used to get, gallop round on that? But the horse does, just doesn't seem to have a body. Okay, so those were photos showing you 
the sidekick and you had to guess the famous person. Let's do it the other way around now. I'm going to show you the famous person and who's the sidekick. Okay? Famous person number one. It's okay. And the sidekick is indeed... Well, we'll wait. just wait. Just be patient. There we go. The sidekick is uh, Ron Weasley. Number two... Forget that it's Michael Caine. Just go from the, advert, from the outfit. Okay, so that's Sherlock Holmes and the sidekick is Dr. Watson, as you'll see. Okay, next one. Okay, you're good at these, aren't you? If, as if we keep it on this level for this sermon, I think we're going to be going to do fine here. There's his sidekick, Barney Rubble. It's interesting, on the two cartoon ones where we've had Barney and previously it was Boo Boo, the sidekick was looking up adoringly, wasn't he, at the, um, at the more important person there. Okay, next one. Mr. Spock, yeah, so yeah, you'll see Mr. Spock appear in the next one. So there, the, and the last one, please. Oh, yeah, okay, so that's Frodo from The Lord of the Rings, and then his sidekick is Sam. And if that photo was a little clearer, you would see again just how adoringly Sam, the sidekick, is looking at his, um, his, 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 his greater. Okay, so that's, that's what we're about on this sermon series. We're looking at sidekicks. Uh, mine's the first one of a series of talks throughout um, Sunday mornings in July, and maybe a little bit longer, I'm not sure, uh, but where the focus will be on uh, biblical sidekicks. Now, today's sidekick is actually a group of sidekicks. There are three of them. And these three people are some of the most famous names in the Old Testament. Their story is one of the most timeless ones in the Old Testament. If you were brought up through Sunday school as a kid, then you will know this story. Okay? So in a moment, I'm, I'm hoping that their names will appear on the screen. Will you recognize these names of our three sidekicks today when you see them on the screen? There they go. These world-famous biblical characters, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And you're looking a little bit puzzled, some of you. After that build-up, I've never heard of this. I went to Sunday school. Why do I not know them? In the Bible... They start off with those names, but when they get moved to this other location that I'll tell you about shortly, they have their names changed into Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Or as a friend of mine used to call them with his youth group, Meshach, Yorshach, and a bungalow. But we'll try to, we will try to avoid those today. We'll try to stick to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So... These three sidekicks that we're going to, whose story we're going to look at today are sidekicks to one of the most famous characters in the Old Testament, uh, the prophet Daniel. He of have, have Lion's Den fame, uh, who wrote one of the books in the Old Testament, who uh, has that very book named after him. Um, and even though these four characters, because they were a for a, a group of friends, started off pretty equal, as their lives progressed, it was Daniel who, who rose to the greater prominence, if you like, and therefore the other three guys are being considered as his uh, sidekicks. Okay, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego only feature, very briefly in the Bible, they feature in the chapter 3 of Daniel's book, and after that they disappear and we know nothing else about them. Um, but I hope by the end of what I've got to tell you this morning, you'll consider that they are indeed uh, important in their own right. So what do we know about this foursome? Well, their story, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, takes place about 600 years before Christ, so 2,600 years ago-ish. King ne Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon, and Babylon is what we pretty much what we currently know as Iraq, had uh, sent his armies to invade Jerusalem. 
the holy city of God, the capital of, of the Israelites, and so on. And that army had laid siege to Jerusalem, and it had carried off all its most treasured possessions back to Babylon. But not only did it carry back its most treasured possessions, it carried back some of its most prominent, worthy, uh, uh, outstanding citizens. And Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were among that group who were carried uh, back to Babylon. Now that's a journey of about 1,800 miles. Um, obviously, there was no real, not much transport around in those days. That's the journey they had to make. Uh, it's like the equivalent, really, of being transported and uprooted and made to walk to Algeria from here or to Bulgaria from here. That's the sort of distance that you're talking about. So a very, very long distance, but also a very, very strange culture that they were plonked in the middle of when they completed their journey. It was while they were in captivity that they had their names changed. They were, they were trained. Because of, because of their qualities they had, they were trained by the Babylonians for three years so that they were then became fit for service uh, to, to the king Nebuchadnezzar. And it's during that time that all four of them had their names changed. So that's when they became Shadrach, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Daniel took on the name of Belteshazzar. But for some reason in the Bible, he doesn't really get referred to that very much. We know from the Bible, from Daniel chapter 1, that these young men who were captured were, ch were captured for a particular reason, because they fitted the criteria that Nebuchadnezzar wanted for, as part of his future entourage. So they had to be without physical defect. They had to be handsome. They had to be intelligent, wise, and quick thinking. That was why they were actually chosen for, their, the, for these very qualities. And we know all that stuff from Daniel chapter 1. In Daniel chapter 2... The main event of that chapter is where the king, Nebuchadnezzar, has a dream that he needs to have interpreted. And he decides, I'm going to go to all my advisors and give them the chance to interpret this dream for me. But there's a little bit of twist to that. I don't know if anybody's ever asked you to uh, help them understand the dream, and they've told you the dream, and you've said, well, might be this. Nebuchadnezzar didn't do it that way. He wanted to test how good his advisors were by not actually telling them what the dream was which is a bit of a tall order, I think you would agree. Eh? I've had a dream, can you tell me what it means? But I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. And he backed that up with a threat that if you can't do this, all my advisors and counsellors will be put to death. And that group of advisors and counsellors included Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. Daniel let it be known to the king that he would do that. He would interpret the dream for him. And it was at that stage, and if you could bring up the first of the Bible verses, please, it was then that he gathered together his three friends and they prayed about this. No, that's not the one. I need um, the slide with um, Daniel chapter 2, verse 17 to 19, if you've got that. Yeah. So, Daniel then went home and told his companions, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, there's the, the three original names, what was going on, i.e. this problem with the dream. He asked them to pray to the God of heaven for mercy in solving this mystery so that the four of them wouldn't be killed along with the whole company of Babylonian wise men. So that's interesting. That's the, that's the, the, the basis, if you like, of the relationship between these four guys. There was a big issue. There was a problem. They were all going to die if this problem wasn't solved. And Daniel's reaction was, I'll do this. And then he prayed with his mates about it. He prayed to God to provide the solution. And God did. God did provide Daniel with knowledge of what the dream was and what it meant. 
and the king was so impressed with Daniel's qualities that he promoted him to pretty much ruler of, uh, of Babylon, just below himself, uh, a role which then Dan Daniel took on. But I ought, now Daniel's only request in taking on this role was that his three friends, who had supported him in this, actually get promoted to positions of prominence in Babylon as well. And after that, we don't see any more contact in the Bible between Daniel and the three sidekicks. It might have taken place, but it's not recorded in the Bible. So our focus now is on Daniel chapter 3, which is the story of, uh, of the three guys, the three sidekicks that we're looking at uh, in, in, in today's study. We're looking at the whole of chapter 3. Uh, it will appear on the screen in the message version. Uh, if you want to follow it on your, in your own Bibles, by all means do so. But please bear with me. I'm going to read the whole of the chapter in one go. So it, it is quite a long read here, uh, but it's a good story. So here we go, Daniel chapter 1. King Nebuchadnezzar built a gold statue, 90 feet high and 9 feet thick. He set it up on the Jura Plain in the province of Babylon. He then ordered all the important leaders in the province, everybody who was anybody, to the dedication ceremony of the statue. They all came for the dedication, all the important people, and took their places before the statue that Nebuchadnezzar had erected. A herald then proclaimed in a loud voice, Attention, everyone! Every race, color, and creed, listen! When you hear the band strike up all the trumpets and trombones, the tubers and the baritones, the drums and the cymbals, fall to your knees and worship the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Anyone who does not kneel and worship shall be thrown immediately into a roaring furnace. The band started to play, a huge band equipped with all the musical instruments of Babylon, and everyone Every race, color, and creed fell to their knees and worshipped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Just then, some Babylonian fortune tellers stepped up and accused the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, Long live the king. You gave strict orders, O king, that when the big band started playing, everyone had to fall to their knees and worship the gold statue, and whoever did not go to their knees and worship it had to be pitched into a roaring furnace. Well... There are some Jews here, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, whom you have placed in high position in the province of Babylon. These men are ignoring you, O king. They don't respect your gods, and they won't worship the gold statue you, you set up. Furious, King Nebuchadnezzar ordered Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be brought in. When the men were brought in, Nebuchadnezzar asked, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that you don't respect my gods and refuse to worship the gold statue that I've set up? I'm giving you a second chance. But from now on, when the big band strikes up, you must go to your knees and worship the statue I've made. If you don't worship it, you'll be pitched into a roaring furnace, no questions asked. Who is the God who can rescue you from my power? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego answered King Nebuchadnezzar, your threat means nothing to us. If you throw us in the fire, the God we serve can rescue us from your roaring furnace and anything else that you might cook up. I love that translation there. Everything else that you might cook up, O king. But even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference, O king. We still wouldn't serve your gods or worship the gold statue you set up. Just note before I carry on reading there, those three little words there, but even if. I'm going to come back to those later. Even if he doesn't, it wouldn't make a bit of difference. 
Nebuchadnezzar, his face purple with anger, cut off Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He ordered the furnace fired up seven times hotter than usual. He ordered some strong men from the army to tie them up, hands and feet, and throw them into the roaring furnace. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, bound hand and foot, fully dressed from head to toe, were pitched into the roaring fire. Because the king was in such a hurry and the furnace was so hot, flames from the furnace kill, uh, killed the men who carried Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to it, while the fire raged around Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Suddenly, King Nebuchadnezzar jumped up in alarm and said, Didn't we throw three men bound hand and foot into the fire? That's right, so king, they said. But look, he said, I see four men walking around freely in the fire, completely unharmed. And the fourth man looks like a son of the gods. Nebuchadnezzar went to the door of the roaring furnace and called in, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, servants of the high God, come out here. And Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego walked out to the fire. All the important people, the government leaders and king's counselors, gathered around to examine them and discovered that the fire hadn't so much touched the three men. Not a hair singed, not a scorch mark on their clothes, not even the smell of fire on them. Nebuchadnezzar said, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. He sent his angel and rescued his servants who trusted in him. They ignored the king's orders and laid their bodies on the line rather than serve or worship any god but their own. Therefore, I issue this decree. Anyone, anywhere of any race, color, or creed who says anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego will be ripped to pieces, limb from limb, and their houses torn down. There has never been a God who can pull off a rescue like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So that's the story. The king sets up this image of gold, about 90 feet high. I'm not sure how how high this building is, but I'm not so sure that a 90-foot statue would fit inside it, maybe? It wouldn't. This is about 24 feet. Okay, so if you imagine four times almost as, as tall as this room, the statue, that's some statue. He demanded that everybody worship it. All the dignitaries were invited to the dedication service. That included Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. They'd been promoted, if you remember, at the end of the previous chapter. The command was given, the band struck up, uh, people were told to bow, bow down, and they were going to be thrown in the fire if they didn't. Verse 7, if you could see verse 7 on the screen, please, of, of chapter 3. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, etc., all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold. So people, <coughs> people followed the commandments, all except the three Hebrew men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, why would they not follow that? Well, remember, they're set 600 years before Jesus. Their Hebrew faith was based very much on what the Old Testament taught them. The, the main basis of their faith at that, time was the, uh, at that time was the Ten Commandments. And commandment number one says, you shall have no other gods but me. And commandment two says, you shall not make for yourself any idol, nor bow down to it or worship it. That's where they were coming from. That's what they believed. And that's why they refused to bow down. It was either stick with your faith 
or bow down before the king's God. The king summons them, once, once they've been grasped on, if you like, by the other dignitaries, the king summons them, interviews them, checks that what he's heard is correct, and asks them, is it true? Now, if you think about what these three guys have done already in refusing to bow down in the crowd, it took some guts, it took some faith. But how much more guts and faith did it require once they'd been called in front of the king? Is that, is that right? Is that what you did? Yeah, have I heard this correct? Huge pressure on them to compromise. But to these three guys, these our three sidekicks, their God was more real, more important to them than the king and the fire. And they insist that we're not going to do what you ask. We're not going to worship this image. Our God, who we serve, is able to deliver us. The Bible story told us that Nebuchadnezzar was purple with rage. Now, I get angry sometimes. I don't remember, Simon and Naomi might contradict me on this one, I don't remember actually ever going purple with rage. Yeah? He is not one happy chappy. Yeah? He had the furnace heated up seven times more than normal heat. He had some, <coughs> excuse me, he had some of his strongest soldiers tie up the three guys, just in case they were, they were going to escape from this seven times hotter than usual fire. He had them bound and then thrown into the fire. And the fire was so hot that the guys who threw them in actually got sizzled up themselves because they got a bit too close. They had done everything, the king had done everything to ensure that these three Hebrews, our three sidekicks, were quickly and completely burned up. But there's a but. Could we have the slide, please, showing verse 24 and 25? <coughs> so the king leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw into the fire? They replied, certainly, your majesty. Does it run on, run on a little bit longer than that? He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound and unharmed, and the fourth looks like a son of God's. The king is obviously astonished to see that these three guys haven't been sizzled up. He's even more astonished when he sees a fourth person in there. He likens him to a son of the gods. We don't know, the Bible doesn't tell us who that fourth person is. Is it, is it a, an early appearance of Jesus in the Old Testament? Is it an angel that's being sent? We don't know, but it doesn't matter that we don't know because what we do know is that this was an extra being sent by God to be with these three guys in the midst of their trial and to bring them through their trial. So the king calls them out of the fire and they walked out. The thing that struck me there then, the ropes must have burned up, but they weren't touched because they walked out of the fire. The clothes, the hair and the skin wasn't burned. There's not even a smell of smoke. And that's where the story ends, where Nebuchadnezzar acknowledges the greatness of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. He makes a proclamation that nobody must speak anything against this God in the future, and he promotes uh, the three guys to even higher positions of authority. And that's as much as we know then about these three blokes. We don't know anything what happens to them later in life. We don't know if they ever got back to Israel. We don't know uh, if, uh, how long they lived for. We don't know how much time in future they spent with Daniel. We don't know anything. The Bible makes no further mention of them. So that's a good story. I remember it as a Sunday school kid. It's a brilliant story. I remember it reading to my own children. It's a good story. They get excited by the idea of these, these guys being thrown into the fire and then walking back out. 
But I think there's got to be more to it than that. We've got to be able to get more out of it than that uh, some 2,600 years later um, for, uh, for it to be um, more than just an interesting story. So there's two things in the, in the remainder of my time this morning that I want to look at. I want to look at what it shows us about God's power and I want to look at what this story shows us about the actual stance uh, that the three sidekicks took. So firstly, God's power. <coughs> the Bible, the Word of God, <coughs> is the, the major means by which God reveals himself to us. And as we read Scripture more and more, as we become more and more familiar with its contents, so then we become more and more aware of God's power because that's best Apart from him, uh, the person of Jesus himself, that's best how we see God's power. Here, it's the power which rescues the three men from the fiery furnace. Elsewhere in the Old Testament, it's the same power of God which created the earth and the universe, which created man and woman. It's the same power of God which flooded the earth and rescued his chosen few. It's the same power which sent plagues on Egypt. It's the same power which split the Red Sea. It's the same power which provided the Ten Commandments on tablets of stone. It's the same power that you see in the New Testament, the power of Jesus to carry out a whole range of miracles, healing the sick, calming the storm, feeding the thousands, raising the dead. That same power is invested in the disciples and the apostles to heal and to cast out demons. Most significantly of all, it's the same power behind the resurrection. Jesus' body broken by the torture of crucifixion and the spear stuck into his side, laying in a dark tomb then brought back to life by that same power of God. Jesus in all his power, in all his humanness, but in all his glory. God's power is amazing. It's what theologians refer to as his being omnipotent. He is all-powerful. Yeah. The Apostle Paul, and I'd like the, the slide with the Ephesians verse on it now, please. The Apostle Paul describes this power of God like this. He says that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. Imagine some of the prayers you've put forward to God asking for things. He is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine. That's the power of God that we see in, 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 our, in our little story uh, today. The second translation of that from the message is God can do anything you know. Far more than you could ever imagine or guess or request in your wildest dreams. God can do more than you would ever think of in your wildest dreams. That's some power. But I think the most amazing thing of all about this power... The same power which rescued Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego from the fire is that it's available to Christian believers. It's available to us at our conversion through the Holy Spirit. And it's our job in this is to learn and to be available to release this power, how to harness this power to do God's will, to give him the glory, to develop his church, to be the salt and light in society, and, and so on. That's our challenge. Are we ready to be vehicles for God's power? The second thing I want to look at is the, the three guys themselves. So let's change our focus now and look a little bit more closely on the stance of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't think it's an, an exaggeration to say that these guys showed incredible faith. 
Can we look again at, I'd like the slide please with verse 16 on. These are the only direct words in this story that we hear from, from the three guys. This is, these are their words when uh, they've refused to bow down and Nebuchadnezzar had brought them back to say, is this what you've done? What's, what's going on here, guys? And so they said, King Nebuchadnezzar, we don't need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. I interpret saying, yeah, guilty. That's what we've done. Now, there's no point in trying to defend ourselves. That's what we've done. You're right. You've heard correctly. Yeah. Carry on. If we're thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, there's those words again, but even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold, of, of gold that you have set up. Even if he doesn't, we're not going to do what you're asking us to do. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, remember, 600 years before Jesus, their faith would have been built on all the, the main events of the early uh, Old Testament. Yeah. They know from those stories, the escape from Egypt and so on, they know that God is greater and more powerful than anything King Nebuchadnezzar can do. They know that. That's, that's the basis of their faith. But if not, if God chooses not to use his power in that way, we're not going to bow down. Even if we're not going to bow down. So yes, they have been brought up on these stories of God. And remember, only a short time before, they prayed to God with Daniel that God would reveal what the dream was and tell them what it meant. So very recent experience of this God's power. But remember too, they're in Babylon. They're 1,800 miles from home. They've witnessed and even taken part in this destruction of God's holy city, the carrying off of all their most precious treasures and the carrying off of their most qualified citizens. They were part of all that. God, the all-powerful God, the omnipotent God, could have stopped that if he'd chosen to, but he chose not to. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego know that. They know that could have stopped that, but they know that they're where they are because God chose not to. But they still had the faith for the but if not. Even if God didn't use his power in this situation, they weren't going to worship the golden statue. They were going to do what was right. They were going to stand for God. Now, in this story, we've got the benefit of hindsight. We know, because we've heard the story before, that when we start reading the story, we know they're going to work out, walk out of the furnace at the end. We know what the happy ending is. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego didn't when they decided to take that stand. And that's what faith is. Yeah? They know that God can do it, but it's God who decides whether he does it or not. Last summer, um, we had uh, a day in Oxford, we being Naomi and Simon myself. <coughs> and uh, I remember it being a very hot day. Um, I'm going to ask you to show the photo note of the two monuments, please. Um, we had uh, a day in Oxford, <coughs> and we had a, a picnic lunch, sat at the bottom of those steps. That's not a family photo, so don't try and identify anybody. That's just a random photo off Google there. 
That monument, and the one on the right is just an inset of the bit at the top, it's the same monument. We had our picnic lunch sat at the bottom of that monument. It's called the, uh, the Martyrs Memorial. And the th there, are, there are three Christian martyrs around the top, three clergymen, bishops I think they were at the time, uh, who were, they, the, the three names were Cranmer, Latimer, and Ridley. And this was marking an event in the 1500s, the 16th century. <coughs> so it was an event in the 1500s when these three guys, men of the church, um, were challenged by the religious authorities to change what they believed. And they refused. And they were told that if they didn't change what they believed, then they would be burnt at the stake. Now you can see there's some similarities starting to appear with our story here this morning. Yeah? These three men didn't change their views. They didn't um, bend their stance to tie in with what, with what people were telling them. And they were put at the stake, and the stake uh, and the, around these were set, a, set on fire, and these three men died an excruciatingly horrible death. They worshipped the same God as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So why did God rescue them from the fire, but not, the, not these three guys? I don't know. And that's not for us to know. That's God who makes those decisions. God can do it, but in that case, he chose not to. That's what faith is. Could you show the slide, please, with the verse from Hebrews chapter 11? The definition of faith according to Scripture is to be sure of things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. That's what faith is, to be sure of the things we hope for, to be certain of the things we cannot see. Faith is based, is based on an awareness and an experience of God's power, his being all-powerful, but also on an acceptance, and here's another theological word, of his omniscience, his knowing everything. So he's all-powerful, but he's all-knowing. And if he's all-knowing, and I don't think there's anybody in this congregation here who would make that claim, that they are all-knowing. If God is all-knowing, then it means he knows best. He knows stuff we don't. He's all-knowing. The prophet Isaiah, in chapter 55 of Isaiah, um, puts it like this. He was given this insight into this nature of God's character. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. My thoughts are not your thoughts. I don't think the way you do. I don't act the way you do, is what God is saying there. Some nearly, some nearly 20 years or so ago, I was given this verse from Scripture to read out at the funeral of a young man who'd been killed in a motorcycle accident. He was the eldest son of a very good, uh, very good friends of mine, uh, a lovely Christian couple, why did God not prevent that? He could have done. The lad could have started his journey five minutes later. The car that hit him could have gone a different way. God could have avoided that, but he didn't. My thoughts are not your thoughts. My ways are not your ways. 
Why did God not heal that person? Why did God not do this? Why did not God act in that way? Why did that person die at that age? My ways are not your ways. My thoughts are not your thoughts, says the Lord. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said that our God can deliver us from this. But if not, we will do what's right anyway. They got that our all-powerful God is also an all-knowing God. For us to grow as believers, then we need to get that too. That for God, nothing's impossible. Absolutely nothing is impossible for God. But God is also sovereign. He does things as he sees fit and not necessarily as we see fit. And we need to be ready to praise God, to stand for God, to do what's right for God. Yes, when things are going well in our lives. But if not, if they don't go well, then we still need to praise God. We still need to stand for God. We still need to do what's right for God. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, sidekicks they might be, in the sense that they're probably not as prominent as Daniel himself, but I think they're heroes in their own right. And I think that their faith is an example to us all. They were willing to be the vehicles through which God demonstrated his power. And similarly, for us, not all of us are called to be leaders in church or in workplace or in whatever groups we're part of. Statistically, we are far more likely to be sidekicks than we are leaders. But all of us, sidekicks and leaders, will have opportunities to display our faith, opportunities to stand for God and his values in a hostile environment. In a hostile environment. And therefore, all of us can be the vehicle for God to demonstrate his power. What a privilege. Will we choose to do that? Shall we just uh, close with a prayer?